Hey everybody, welcome back to Brain Basement. Um, you've got Annalie and Angie here today and we're really excited to discuss a fascinating topic with another special guest. So this is a fellow expat and dear friend of mine, Amber Folkman is on the show today. So Amber, thanks so much for being here and welcome. So for some background, I first met Amber in the Philippines, which was my first overseas assignment in the Foreign Service. And I was really unsure about going to the Philippines, but looking back, I can now say that I felt like it was kind of written in the stars um, just because the great people that I met there and Amber was one of those and she's become a lifelong friend. Um, we lived near each other. We both had our first children. We had baby boys. She had a baby boy. I had my first baby boy. And we um, hung out together. And she really helped me love life in the Philippines. And that is what we're talking about today, is loving where you live. So before we get too much into that, Amber, I'd love for you to tell us more about you and the work that you've done. You. We also had our second baby boys. Oh, that's true. And we both had them there in Manila. Yep. Yeah. So right. we had our second baby boys during that time. Um, you have probably gallivanted to four different countries since then, and I stayed. <laughs> I had moved to two other houses in Manila and then settled into one where we lived for six years. Uh, yeah, so we lived in Manila. I've lived, we lived in Manila, Philippines twice. The first was from 2009 to 2010, left for a year and a half for my husband to go to graduate school, and then we came back. And so I had, I lived there as um, young and married. We'd only been married for a short time and no kids. So the first one was really an adventure. Like we were just going, and we got to travel frequently. And then the second time we moved back, I had two. Oh no, that was the second time was when I came back and met you. So I had a baby and was pregnant again. And then um, had one more boy. And so a total of three. And we lived in Manila. So a total of nine years. And about year three and a half there, I, I decided um, just for fun, I would create a social media account to show my friends and family back home in the U.S. what life was like. Uh, and then it just kept going. Uh, eventually, Filipinos and local expats were loving the social media account. I, hadn't, I didn't have an intention of writing a blog because I wasn't a writer. Sometimes I still don't feel like a writer, but I'm like, I wrote almost every day for five years. Like, I think I can call myself yeah. somewhat a writer. Uh, so I started sharing just family-friendly activities. And then after two years of writing this blog, I am doing, having a social media presence. I read this book called This Is Where You Belong, um, uh, The Art and Science of Loving Where You Live. And as I was reading it, she had all this, the research and science behind uh, a term called place attachment. And it's a term in environmental psychology that talks about the positive feelings you feel about your place. And as I read this book, I was like, 
this is what I'm, this is what I'm doing. And this is why it makes sense. And this is why people also like it. And this is why it's been so helpful to me. And it was so, uh, encouraging and fulfilling and validating to read the reasons why this way of living and sharing was successful. So the, so for five years, I had a social media account showing ways to love where you live, specifically love where your life in Manila. And then the last two years, I had workshops and speaking engagements about that topic. That's so great. And yes, even though I had moved from Manila, I loved following you and her um, kind of your, what was it, tagline was spreading positivity mm -hmm. about, or say it so I don't destroy it. Yeah, no, that was what it, it was. Yeah, loving where you live and, um, and finding the good wherever you are. Yeah. And that is truly what you did. I loved it and shared it with other expats that didn't even live in the Philippines, but I felt like the things that you shared could be applied to anyone, even those that were not living in Manila at the time. And, um, it's, and it was great work, yeah. It's come full circle now because of um, COVID. Um, you know, the whole global situation and everyone's, many people's lives being um, turned up and transitioned. We did leave Manila in March, um, not knowing that we wouldn't be able to return. And so I've had to, I'm at the beginning of going back to my toolkit and eating a lot of my own words and practicing what I'm preaching and developing a lot of empathy for um, those who I worked with previously who were having a difficult time or struggling. And um, yeah, so it's been good for me to come full circle and be on the other end of that. Um, and really having to work at appreciating where I am. Uh, can I just say that I love the idea that you were doing this naturally, like if this was already happening when you found the book and and figured out the science behind it. So clearly you have this natural propensity towards, you know, being talented at this and being skilled in this area. And then I love also that you're sharing here that um, also <laughs> it doesn't like go smoothly for the rest of my life forever. Correct. As a result. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Yes. And I will, it was very um, encouraging to, I'm so grateful for the woman who wrote this book. The author's name is Melody Warnick because we, and I don't know if it's, and this could be a whole topic for another day. I don't know if it's because as women, we sometimes undervalue the work that we do, like I could never say, oh, I was a blogger. Like there was always a little bit of shame with it, but I'd be like, but I'm not a mommy blogger. I will give you no parenting advice. Like I'm a hot mess mom and I'm not, I have no outfit of the day. Like I, I don't do any of that. But when I read this woman's book, I was like, yes, there, like it was so validating that there is science and research behind why these things 
work. And for me, it was very encouraging to be like, keep going. She wrote a book about this. There's a professor, um, Richard Florida, who, who literally created this phrase and now has an entire um, study about it at a university. Like it's, it was very encouraging to see um, something, yeah, that I might be prone towards or passionate about. And it's not just like some, it had real meaning and value to it. And that was so validating to find this and be like, yeah, this makes sense. And I'm, and I'm going to keep going with it. <laughs> and now that I'm in this space, we were relocated to Fort Worth, Texas. Um, I'm really having to go back <laughs> to those research-based approaches and my own toolkit and remind myself of those um, uh, elements and philosophies and ideas that I wrote about for five years. That's awesome. You get to experience your own, like from the beginning, what about this situation? I even thought um, one time we had a discussion where someone described COVID as like a temporary duty station. If you were thinking of it as like, this is where I have to exist for this year for an unknown amount of time. How can we, you know, figure out how to love where we live in coronavirus land. Yeah, that's it. And I'm trying, I'm really glad you brought that up. One of the things I've, that I, I think it really lent a gift living how I, how I did was um, not necessarily putting all this um, uh, kind of unsettled feelings and I wasn't ready to leave. So of course there's some of that mourning and sadness and not placing it on the physical space, but on the circumstances of what is. And there's been a lot of surrendering, a lot of like my palms are open, I'm surrendering to whatever life is at this moment. Uh, but also realizing um, a lot of that emotional hardship um, and sadness isn't necessarily at this physical space where I am, but the circumstances of what is. Mm -hmm. yeah. That is so interesting. And it really is a topic that the, all of us can relate to. Like my initial thoughts, because this podcast is primarily for expats, but I just thought it doesn't matter where you're moving. It could be domestic within your home country or like you said Angie maybe it's you're moving into a different stage of life or like a season that you've never dealt with before and maybe there is some grief as you're moving out of that stage that felt comfortable and and you long for it and you don't know how to live in the new space and so I just think there's so many aspects aspects of this and avenues to explore um but I guess one of my questions, Amber, is I, I did initially think of that first overseas move that I took to the Philippines. And to share a small example of this idea of not loving where you live is I remember, you know, landing in Manila, being driven to our apartment complex, which was a high rise right in the middle of the city. We took the elevator up to the 29th floor walked into our apartment and our living room, the, the main wall was just a wall of windows. And 
that looked out over Metro Manila. So I remember walking in, going up to that wall of windows and looking out over this sprawling city. And honestly, my first feeling was just nausea. And I was just terrified. I didn't know what we were doing. I didn't know how to make a new home in this place. I was terrified. And honestly, that pit in my stomach lasted for months. And I remember even at the end of, you know, each day going up to my calendar and like putting a huge X through each day, like we made it through another day. But fast forward two years, it was time for us to move. And I remember a day my husband and I were driving down a road in Manila and I turned to him and I said, I love this place and I am not ready to leave. Mm -hmm. And I just thought two years is, it's not even mm -hmm. enough to really sink my teeth into this place. And so sometime, you know, in those two years, I went from nausea to not wanting to leave. So like, can you, I guess let's just start there. Like, how does that happen? Cause I, I go back and I guess I can think of experiences we had, but the science behind it, like you said, is there. And just to make the connection with wellness, I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. If you see a connection, because I definitely, it did impact my wellness. I was physically nauseous, which impacted my brain, my emotions, fast forward, you know, to when we were leaving and I did feel more vibrant and just alive in that place. So yes. how would you kind of make that, is there a connection there? And what did we, what would you say about that? Yeah, definitely. The thing I do, especially because I really do like I, and the way I talk about it is going to sound a little unique and I'm okay with that. I love Manila like a place. Like it, like I have imagined hugging like my city, like, and I call it like my city, like my, I like love her. Like it's a thing, like it's a person, like it is a beating heart. And I didn't always, um, but I do know first, let me say how <laughs> visible, how seen you are. Manila is gritty and dirty and divine and chaotic and just so overwhelmingly beautiful. Like I love the chaos. I feel most like myself when I'm there, but I absolutely, it is this, it's a very intense emotional place because it has a lot of op opposition of everything. Um, and of course, like new job and new country and so many changes of physical, mental, emotional, all those things, professional, all of those things. Um, but I do, I think this is a great place to talk about the term environmental, um, excuse me, place attachment, which I had mentioned before. And so place attachment truly is um, the positive relationship that someone has between a person and a place. And so that is what, and there's these really cool quizzes you can take on, um, you know, how you feel towards your city, how you feel towards your place. And so the, that's rooted in the word um, or in the, the practice of place attachment. And uh, it's very connected to positive psychology, which I am sure you're both familiar with. Um, as 
years went on um, and I was starting to work more one-on-one -on -one with individuals or companies, I became um, a transformation coach so that I had better communicative skills. And that is also rooted in positive psychology. And so positive psychology is, uh, it, it's, it's looking for the good and finding the good, which can sound very oversimplified. And to some, it might be overwhelming, but you get to practice it how you want, as broad or as specific as you want, as vast or as simple as you want. So place attachment, um, a very, basic example I would give is you create experiments and experiences with your place to develop positive feelings for it. So one of those things that you, um, that you probably did, Annalie, was find things that are important to you. So an example, if you don't mind me sharing, uh, is that you enjoy baking bread. And you gave that gift to others. So what you did first was you found something that fulfilled you. So I imagine baking or working with your hands or um, offering something to your community or loved ones was something that fulfilled you. And so you began to do that. Um, so you sold it. I even went to one of your classes where you did it and you, um, essentially created a positive experience with the place or the time in your life where you were. And so first you need to identify what it is that fulfills you, right? What, and I wish we had more education in that. I wish we truly in our young primary years um, were able to pause and tell ourselves to identify what makes us feel whole or what makes us feel fulfilled. And then we mentally, you know, become aware of that and maybe, um, you know, kind of pull that up and put a pin in it. And are like, yes, I'm going to keep coming back to this place because I know it fulfills me and makes me feel whole. And I feel better when I do this. Um, now, these are all very personal. I can't tell you. I can't be like, treat yourself or um, meditate or go walking or wear Birkenstocks. Like, I can't tell you these things. You need to become self-aware and practice that. Um, and then you capitalize on that. And that's where you create your place attachment experiments. So one of the ones that I talked about a lot was creating a home because when we feel peace and happiness in our home, um, that can increase. When we feel settled, our peace and joy and, um, you know, the way you feel about yourself and others can increase. That also goes going inward. What things do you need to do or take care of inside that will allow you to feel that, um, you know, positivity or peace. And then when you can identify those things, then you create experiences or experiments with them. Nature was a common one because Manila didn't have a lot of parks. So nature was something that people missed tremendously. So 
for you, and again, it shouldn't be you, a lot of this is, I can give you ideas, but they really, it, it's inward, it's self-prescribed is what I would say. But um, some examples that often came up were putting a date on the calendar once a month to go on a hike outside of Manila or having houseplants in your home. You know, there's amazing research on just having houseplants in your home. Uh, there's this book called This Is Your Brain on Nature, and they have a whole chapter dedicated to the positive feelings you have having it in your home. Um, another one was, uh, so wellness, on the topic of wellness, was meditation or breathing. Or, um, you know, Manila was this cool place where they had yoga studios. That was really popular. So um, when you can identify what fulfills you and then do experiments with those within your place, you start to create and have these positive feelings with it. Anytime something doesn't offer that fulfillment, it's not a failure, it's an identifier. Excuse me, a failure. It's an identifier like, oh, I thought that that was going to work, but I think I've identified that I've had enough of this and we're not going to continue with it. That's good to remember. Yeah, that makes so much sense. I agree with you. Like, why didn't we as kids yeah. look at ourselves and say like, this is what I love and enjoy and this kind of stuff I don't love and enjoy. I think we naturally do kind of observe that and then we pay no attention to it. It's like we grow up and we're 32 and we're like, oh, I didn't even notice that I really loved nature and being in the woods and going on walks where I lived before. I just felt like I was really happy there for whatever reason and never thought about it. And then we moved to an urban city and we're just like, I don't know why I feel depressed now. And we still don't look at it sometimes. So this is really interesting concept to me. Or, or yeah, we just feel like, well, everyone else likes yoga, so I should go to yoga. And <laughs> that's supposed to make me feel better. And no one stops to look like, oh, I don't, you know, something else. <laughs> yeah. I almost think too, like when you move, or this is only my experience, when I moved to that Manila, that initial overseas move, it was almost that feeling of like, I don't know who I am in this new place. But yeah. it, actually, I'm still me. And I guess that's what I'm hearing from you is like, okay, so my, what brings me fulfillment, what used to bring me fulfillment can still bring me fulfillment in Manila. It doesn't mean that I, it's like, everything's erased. And I'm like, who am I now? You know, it's like, like you brought up a specific example. It's like, well, I know how to do this. Like I have this skill or this talent and maybe I can do it here too. Or, which I guess I didn't realize that at the time, but it kind of felt like that. Like, I don't know who I am. And it was like paralysis at first. Mm -hmm. I'm so glad you brought that up because that comes up in this research often. And especially there's a ton, a ton of research on the term identity reconstruction. Ooh, heard that word before? No. So it's very fascinating. Um, there is a conference called Families and Global Transition. Um, it's oftentimes held in uh, the Netherlands, but this last year, they or two years ago, they had it in Bangkok. And so I went and I was able to speak on a panel about place attachment and using social media 
as a cross-cultural bridge to get you there. While I was preparing for this speaking panel, I found this term identity reconstruction. And I'm like, this is phenomenal, especially if you are an accompanying partner who is not the main um, catalyst for the transition, you will carry that emotional burden for your loved ones and also for yourself. So identity reconstruction is fascinating, but it really is every time you do are presented in this new place, whether it's with new cultural values or physical landscape or your body changes for whatever reason. I've never lived, I haven't lived in fall for 10 years, for I have missed 10 falls. Like I have not, and I am like, how do you drink a cold smoothie when it's cold outside? Like, I don't want to, I don't want to do that. And so then I'm like, how am I going to get my greens on? Anyway, this is neither here nor there. But identity reconstruction is fascinating. And one of the things they found was the mental um, and emotional work that you go through is the same as if you had injured your spine and needed to essentially like uh, heal your spine. Like this, they, they were looking at the brain, um, gosh, you guys help me out. Um, the, essentially the brain labor and work, and it was hitting the same spots that it would to essentially reconstruct your spine is the same work, the same amount of work it can be to for identity reconstruction. So it's not, it's not easy. It really is. Um, and that's one of the things I talked about often in these workshops and what I am giving myself a lot of um, grace is that identity reconstruction and doing that work of who am I? What fulfills me? Where do I want to put my energy? You, all you, you do. You, I mean, that could be a whole topic on another one is just all that ba emotional baggage that comes with your shipment of 250 boxes. Right. <laughs> so now we have another episode planned for identity reconstruction, Angie. Let's tag that. Oh, yeah. That's a whole new term. And yes. <sighs> and that goes back to those personal values, um, finding what your personal values are and identifying what is well-being to you. What um, can I maximize in this physical or season of life that will increase my capacity um, for peace and well-being? And I know that sometimes I feel a little bit insecure saying those things, like we should um, have joy and that peace and that well-being, especially when we're in such a Place of privilege. Um, but I do believe that when human beings are whole, they can then go out and help their communities heal and be whole. And so I do think that the work that you do on um, yourself can be beneficial for your communities where you are, wherever you are. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's great. Um, I feel like there's probably some specific barriers that we come up against when we're in a new place to just being able to make that shift. Um, can you, 
do some of those come to mind? Like with the people that you worked with, some of your clients, like what are some common barriers? Yeah. So of course, sorry. No. Uh, so cross-culture transitions and cross-cultural learnings are a huge one. Um, and that can be language barriers or uh, really just across all the board, but those cross-cultural learnings and adaptability. Uh, then the physical separation of not being where you were before. So um, the it's both the physical of you're not in the space where you were before, but also that emotional of I'm not anywhere near where I was before. So that I, um, about comparison, you know, being a thief of joy and, and whatnot, which is interesting because especially for you who live overseas, you'll show up at a post and some people will be so stoked. Like, this place is so great. We can go to the mall and buy shoes. Like we didn't live near a mall before. I remember someone had moved from Wagadu and they came and they're like, I can try on a pair of shoes that fit me and my teenage son. And they were so thrilled. And then you meet this other person who's like, I sat in traffic for an hour each way to try on a stupid pair of shoes that didn't even fit me. And you're like, hmm, this is very interesting because it very much is depending on, you know, what you're, what you are used to having come from that can very much shape how you your outlook of where you are so um that cultural so the cross-cultural learning uh the physical and emotional transition of leaving where you were before um homes are a really huge one because uh your space of where you live and this is of course what I feel strongly about because I love it and um, I studied interior design for a little while because I do believe that um, your surroundings can impact your well-being. Uh, and then nature was uh, the next biggest one was, and I don't know if that's just specific to, I don't think it's just specific to Manila, um, but having access to that. I mean, we, we all know for human beings' well-being, that, that is very important. So those are the big ones. And of course, in, under cross-culture, it's language, food, um, the day in and day out. Cultural nuance is another one that can be um, a lot of work, like a full-time job. Yeah. Yeah, those are super interesting. And I can like each one of those, I feel like I can check the box and be like, yeah, I've, I've confronted that. And mm -hmm. it certainly is something to work through almost one at a time, you know, and maybe you never even work through like, quote, unquote, by the time we're already moving, but it's definitely good to be aware of them as yeah. kind of, they could be potential stumbling blocks. Um, just, nice to give them a name, I guess. Yes. I, I thought of a few more. I was thinking back to some books I had read about transitioning to life abroad. And there's one, it's called Living Your Best Life Abroad, and it's a workbook. And she has eight categories. Um, two of them I didn't find to be significant um, in the work that I did, 
that they went through and it was like personal well-being, um, your physical space, your rate, your like day in, day out. Um, and then not just well-being, but that was like your physical well-being. But then there was like your professional development. Finances were a huge one too. I never did any work in that department. If people had wanted to work one-on-one -on -one with me, it would have been very individualized and they would have led um, the work in that. But so there were a number of areas with that and you, would, you could rate your fulfillment of um, where you feel you are and ideally in this post where you would like to be. So in some posts, I don't know, maybe one of them, it just, you know that it's going to, in one area, it's, it might not be the post for that. Um, I want to go back to what you said, Angie, of remembering the impermanence of this situation, like of COVID. Okay, like what is this going to teach me right now? Like what is, we used to play this um, exercise, 10 things Manila taught me. And it wasn't, or 10 things I'm grateful for. And I think people thought you could only write positive things in the beginning. And so when we would give this exercise, we would give examples of, Manila taught me to be so grateful for efficiency. <laughs> Other countries, like the efficiency of, you know, whatever public transportation or um, Manila taught me the gift of ease of communication, like just, we were speaking English, but we were not understanding each other, okay. um, you know? And so I, I think we think these things as like, I can only see my life with rose colored glasses. And I'm okay with that, but many are not, and that's fine. Um, not all situations clearly, but to your best ability. Uh, but that's why I said, if something doesn't work out for you, it's not a failure, it's an identifier. This doesn't fulfill me. I'm not going to continue to put money and my time and emotional whatever in that. Because when you identify what will and what won't, you get to increase in where you do choose to do mm -hmm. that. Everything is really an identifier or a teacher of some sort. So when you do look for positive things, you get to think, man, I am living in fall weather right now. I was so grateful for the 10 years I had of never needing a sweater. <laughs> you know, those, those things where you can still look back on it with fondness and gratitude, but also be real about the situation that you are in. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah, I see that. Like even when we moved to Ukraine, I thought that the language barrier would, I was terrified. Like how will I communicate? And it ended up being, I don't know, just manageable, you know? And I didn't even really, like I learned a few Russian words, but I guess to your point that none of these things are permanent and maybe what we view as an initial barrier ends up not being as big of a barrier as we thought and now like as we think about other places to live or you know do the job hunt uh, or bid on these posts maybe in the in the past i would have been like you know only um english speaking or languages that i at least can kind of understand but I don't know. I, it's just interesting how those barriers ebb and flow depending on the person, like what's, if it's a big deal to me or 
maybe it will be in one season of life, but not the other. But that's just kind of interesting. And I liked that you made that point that um, some of these things aren't as big as maybe they once were in our heads. Not only that, Sarah, chomping at the bit to congratulate you, because what I heard was that you have a toolkit now for ways to create a, a successful life, um, you know, moving abroad to other countries. I wouldn't, I don't want to say anywhere, but you have a toolkit of from your experience that you can take with you. So one of the things you talked about, and we could probably explore and figure out, you know, identify some, some skills and tools that you developed that allowed you to overcome a language barrier. Maybe it was having support in the home with someone who spoke enough English to get along with you, or you understood um, facial motions that meant a certain thing in the cultural. Well, what you have done is that you've identified cultural nuances, put it in your brain, and now moving forward, you can do that in another country. Um, in the Philippines, they pointed with their lips, and that was something that I learned, that they pointed with their lips. Now, if I go to another country and I see someone doing something similar with their eyebrows or their chin or whatever, I could then identify and pick up on, oh, that's how they point here, and I now have that, that, that skill or tool put away in my kit. So um, don't underestimate or undervalue your capability and skills that you've created and now can take with you wherever you go. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. well done. <laughs> well, and you don't know you're doing it, but yeah. on the flip side, one thing that I can say as we look for, you know, new jobs is I really like, I really value fresh fruits and vegetables. And I never would have thought, you know, 10 years ago, like we have to live in places that have good seasonal produce. But like, I, could, I think I can live somewhere where I don't speak the language, but if I have to eat canned food, I'm not gonna be happy, you know? And I that's identifier. the toolkit, which is very personal, it sounds like. Angie, you're gonna have a different toolkit than, than me. Right, like we had talked for years about getting a dog because the people we knew with dogs, it was like that became their deciding factor in looking at the list of, new locations and like lovely places that you could go but you wouldn't be able to go with a dog because they would have to be quarantined for six months if they if you move to Australia you know which like who doesn't want to go to Australia and how easy to speak English and like all of these things become a factor and I'm kind of thinking also of Annalie the concept you and I follow with like 50 50 there's good stuff and bad stuff all the time right but our brains are just not focusing on the good stuff like we're not noticing like I can communicate pretty well with my helper like she's helping me a lot and instead of appreciating that and telling herself every day like I'm so grateful for this person who's helping me learn the language instead we're just saying this is impossible. You know, our brains just tend to focus on like, I have a language barrier. I can't communicate. How am I going to go to the market? And we just don't, it's so helpful to talk to other people or to have these conversations with, with you guys for me, because it helps me realize like, oh yeah, there's that stuff happening for me too, maybe in a different way, but you know, it's very interesting. 
also wanted to that I didn't um, when you asked me some specific elements that often present um, maybe situational difficulties or specific elements that do can um, help process a positive uh, or create police attachment. Um, one that I overstepped that um, was brought up was engaging with the local community. Mm. That is a massive indicator of um, integration into uh, that positive integration into that life. And so, and that doesn't, lots of times, depending on where you go, volunteering is a really uh, fulfilling and great way to do that. But that isn't the only one. Um, I would, of course, recommend that. But when you're able to identify what fulfills you, that can be a catalyst to reach out to a local community. So I was in um, a sewing group in Manila, and it was so fun to be in this group with both Filipinos and other foreigners in the area. And we'd be like, okay, did anyone find pom-poms at Carolina's this week? Or has anyone seen fleece? I know it's a, and so what you do is you find of course, it's wonderful to not just stay in a vacuum, but if you having those personal, that personal awareness of what fulfills you and finding a local community in that is a really, really, really wonderful way to create roots where you're living. Um, another one of mine that's very silly and childish and I want every second of it is there was a paper conference in Manila paper like for stickers and not just scrapbooking but like stickers and stationery and uh you know any washi tape and uh i found it on facebook you know like an event and I, was like, I love crafting and i love paper i love paper it's a really random thing and i went and it was so fun to see this niche community in manila like go bonker balls over paper and to see these amazing artists create these things and you start to have a very deep respect for your surroundings. Um, I knew there was a whole like textile group, like if you wanted to learn how to dye with the local dye. So if you can identify, I don't know, maybe it's chess, maybe it's wellness retreats, but find um, you, one of the hashtags I use a lot is you'll always find what you're looking for. So if you can identify what fulfills you and you go and you search for it, that is a really, really, really tremendous way to cross that bridge to the local community that's already there. And um, I definitely having that support group of other foreigners who have moved abroad is um, very necessary and healthy for that, especially if it's your first assignment or it's your first few weeks and you want someone who understands where you're coming from. But I think um, we take a lot of comfort for too long in staying that. And it, and it can also be a really easy place to harvest negative feelings about the host community or country. And so I really loved to do encourage work to engage with the local community and integrate as much as you can, because that is when um, deeper roots 
two good country are created. I love that. I and I can ex I can ex say that I've experienced that. Um, and just coming from a perspective of an expat moving into you know different expat communities, I guess we've had different housing situations in each place we've lived more have been some have been more integrated into the local yeah. kind of landscape than others you know i had i lived on kind of a gated compound once that was very much that feeling of like bubble all english speaking um and like you said it has its benefits because we can relate to each other about a lot of things and be there for support but um you know in other posts where no i was just you know we were geographically far away from other expats it did force me to just engage with the local culture and maybe initially you know there were some it was bumpy we'll say that but um i definitely see what you're saying is true that um it helped me to love that place and it was a place that i couldn't speak the language and we just found ways to somehow communicate to the other people that were at the park that we went to every day with the kids and um and i honestly look back with very fond memories it was it was kind of a it came with some loneliness but i I, I learned to love that place. And I also have experienced, like you said, that sometimes those bubbles can be a little bit of a breeding ground for um, not appreciating the host country. Um, because it, like you said, Angie, it is so natural for our brains to go to what is hard. And we can sometimes use that place as a place to relate and make friendships. And we feel like we're building the, these deep friendships over these hardships that we share, which can be great and validating. But like you said, there's a lot of um, goodness that comes from stepping out of that, that bubble too. Um, and I've appreciated people I've met that have helped me to do that, um, which you've been one of them. Actually, both of you have been. <laughs> and I thought um, this was another uh, um, element that I think doesn't get spoken about enough. This is all very hard work, moving, moving families, identity reconstruction, cross-culture learning, setting up a home. Like there is so, there's a lot of work involved. Um, and so I never want to underestimate the power of therapy or extra support. Like if you are really feeling um, I don't want this to ever be a substitute, like creating, um, you know, having these police attachment experiences or experiments and saying, I'm going to love this place and, and I'm going to be so positive about it. And um, you're, first of all, you're never a failure. You're only identifying and teaching yourself what um, feeds you and fulfills you. But if you need to, like, there are really, really big transitions with every aspect of your life, but getting therapy or um, coaching or whatever extra support you might need um, might be the best, like the best thing you can do. Yeah, 
I think that's such good advice. And part of the my vision for these talks that we're doing in this podcast is that people will realize, yeah, like our our feelings matter, <laughs> our emotions matter, and we can look at that and we can talk to people about that. And yeah, and find a therapist that we connect with or, you know, I need an understanding, you know, person to listen on the other side of this. I need an objective opinion. I need to hear what other people um, have to say about this. I think it's so valuable and something. And when um, it's like you said, finding the science behind your work and, and realizing like, oh, this, this does matter. This is important. I think um, just like you said, now I'm in the States and I just had my stuff delivered and I feel so overwhelmed and, you know, and there's a million other factors happening too and it's coronavirus, but just having one of those pieces change and then realizing that on top of it, there is this idea of identity reconstruction, you know, and we are examining who are we and our, and our life is changing and two of my kids moved out and it's that thing you said, Annalie, where it's like also just transitions are happening in your life and you reassess that. And when you look at all of it, you're like, wow, that that is kind of a lot going on. Maybe <laughs> I do deserve some therapy or, you know, I think, you know, could take myself a little seriously and look into this. I want to, I don't want to turn, I apologize for turning this clinical, but I do want to talk about we know why this matters because, you know, I, I believe we all have a flavor of attunement to wellness and wholeness and peace. Um, but also in addition, not but, and in addition, we represent um, countries or multinational companies and we're going out um, as employees or representatives. And I strongly, strongly wish that they would also understand the intense amount of work that families go through in order to achieve that global mission of whatever it is. And so I am a strong advocate that families who do, um, over, or individuals as well, not just families, but individuals as well, do deserve the emotional support that goes along with all of these transitions. So I, my dream job would have been to work with a multinational company and being a community liaison support, like mm -hmm. a really integrated one, not just like we meet for coffee once a month and are like, oh, there was a sale and they had Tommy Hilfiger towels, can you believe it? Like, like actual, like what is going on with my life or it's really hard for me to, anyway, so many layers. But as I was, I would love to be an advocate for that. And I was, I was doing research to figure out how important it is. So the number one cause for assignment failure is an, an, uh, an unadjusted or unsatisfied spouse and children. That mm -hmm. is the number one assignment failure reason. Right. Um, and the number one reason why that they feel that way is connectivity. They don't feel connected to their community. They don't feel connected to their past life, 
whether it's they move somewhere where internet's so crappy they can't call their parent or relative or whatever, or they don't have access for, hello, the skills and how to live where they are and identifying what fulfills them and identifying what will allow them to feel a piece of the community. You know, I read this sad narrative one time of a woman who said she moved to a new country and knew that if she died, no one in that entire country would care. Imagine how isolating sorry to be so macabre, but imagine how isolating that feeling is, which is why individuals and families and companies and countries who choose to assign, who choose to send them out, should also give them the correct support they need in, in, to ensure this positive work. And here's the thing that countries and companies worry about is money. So let's talk about finances. 450,000 US dollars is how much it costs when an assignment failure happens and when they have to move a new person out to remodel wow. the position. So let's take that. Okay, $450,000 to redo that assignment. How much would it have cost to have a community liaison? How much would it have cost to give this family therapy? How much would it have cost? You know, like I'm like, oh my gosh, give every family a $10,000 medical or or wellness stipend to oh. ensure that they do well so that you're not out almost half a million dollars when those assignments do fail mm -hmm. how much of an increase of finances would you have if you just covered your your butt so when people don't want to talk about the uh what's that woo woo feelings of it all fine i'll give you numbers then here's your numbers like yeah. here they are now, can we move on? Can we get the resources that these accompanying partners need, that these kids need? Because the, first, the, the employed individual who caused the catalyst to move abroad has somewhere to go Monday through Friday or whatever their work week is. They know what wardrobe they need to have. They usually already know how to do their job, which is why they got the job. They will learn the cultural climate of the business because they're there every day. Everybody else who accompanies this employed individual is the one who has to do all this juggling and made up work and gets no support for it. So come on, people. I have the numbers. I have the research. Let's do it. I forgot how passionate I feel about that. <laughs> You're in the right place, right, Andy? We're all about yes. I love that future vision. Like that's what the foreign service should be. Like you show up and then you just have your monthly meeting group, you know, or weekly group where it's like seriously talk about what is happening. It's not just the like, where were you posted before? And how old are your children? And do you work? Like let's talk about the real stuff. You get poor women crying in closets, not knowing what's going on, and then crying in closets alone and feeling this shame and not being strong enough or not reaching out to a community enough or whatever it is. And I am a very large advocate for therapy. So you got to feel, you got to deal with it and then let's heal it up and let's go. And I also would love, you know, like every doctor and fireman and um, every public servant to also get therapy. They all, they're living through trauma every day, making our communities better. Like why just in every person, like be a whole human and have this range of feelings because we should all cry. I'm like, when my kids cry, I'm like, yes, you're not a robot. Yeah. You're a 
intended to be a human being yeah. who has feelings and cries. And so when they're crying, I'm like, yeah, you're a human, not a robot. That's exactly what you should do. Right. Yeah. I love that. And it's like, if we were going into these new stages and seasons, just with the assumption that you may feel this way, not everyone, you know, we're all going to differently, but, but with, with some idea, like you said, maybe it's training, maybe it's a stipend, maybe it's yes, whatever it looks like, but it's, it's kind of a, what are the nets that catch trapeze people? <laughs> what I call it. Wording, but. You know. No, a net is perfect. But I also was saying a job security, like what do they do when they go through and they assess like the weakness of a company and then that's where they invest the money? Mm -hmm. I'm like, where's all the red flags? And you know why? It's because we're all past women who can just like move through but we don't have to be. We can also be that and also feel, heal, and feel and make better. And imagine mm -hmm. if we were these well, util well emotional, you know, I'm, and yes, it's a beautiful thing. <laughs> I'm amazed at everything everyone does. And Anna, I do want a, a personal reflection with what you were saying. Some people aren't going to need those resources. Like this might just be like what they work well on. I think if I had moved to another country, I would be, I mean, maybe I'm being foolishly optimistic, but I feel like I would have been fine. Like I would have been okay, but I'm here and I'm like, I'm not okay. <laughs> this is not, I'm not okay. This is not okay. But I, I think had I been somewhere else, like I would have been like another country, let's do this, a new culture, a new language. Like I got the tools, I got the skills, I know how to, and now I'm back here and I'm like, oh gosh, like this is my home country, but I feel like imposter syndrome. It's really interesting. And I thought about that as we were, I was preparing for this episode, just that the, some of the roughest transitions really have been coming back, integrating back into quote unquote home. And I think maybe that first time we came back, it was, it caught me off guard because I thought my, I didn't, my expectations were that it would be very smooth. Why would I struggle coming back home to a place that's very familiar to me? But it was, it was very surprising how many bumps there were. And um, it's interesting to see how you evolve over the course of an overseas life and coming back in between. Yeah. Yes. That could be a whole, oh my gosh, I can't even imagine the sign. Yeah. <laughs> So Angie, I loved a question that you, you had in place um, about how narrow or wide this can, this concept of loving where you live, kind of, what does it mean? So. Yeah, I mean, I was just thinking in terms of logistics, like, should, could we try to love just the, you know, apartment we're in, like you said, Annalie, like being on the 29th floor, or can we love the um, community that we're in, or can we love the new, you know, language that we're surrounded by? Like, how wide does this go, and how, or can we love the new job that we're showing up for? Um, like, where do we look to apply this, and should it 
should it start small and grow big or should we start big and volunteer and then go smaller and just had a, the idea of loving where you live there were so many different possibilities within that or loving yourself in that place <laughs> can i love who i am here identifying your personal values and, and your personal values may change depending on um your stage of life and physical location of life when i the workshops that i led before in manila and what i often wrote about was i had started first in starting with your home um because that's where you spend the majority of your time mm -hmm. and so really creating or settling in um to a space where you can maximize um your environment and create the most positive atmosphere for yourself that you can um that does not mean necessarily buying new furniture or buy, you know or painting walls it might but some of the tips that i gave that i learned from the reading was the first thing you should do when like let's this is just one example but the first thing that you should do uh, when you move into a new space is get rid of your cardboard boxes as soon as possible because cardboard boxes of a, are a symbol of what you used to be and where you used to be. And so that's the number one thing that they, that from the reading that I found is get rid of your cardboard boxes. Do not have them. Do not get, get everything out. And if you need to let go of things, you know, be go through your process, whatever it might be, but cardboard boxes are this essentially like a shadow from the path that just kind of le like lurks over you. And um, so you are, when you get um, your boxes out and when you put picture frames on a wall or painting a wall, you're saying, I'm here. Like I am here. This is where we are. This is my space. And this is where we're going to be for the next while. So when you put up picture frames, you have you or whatever painted a wall, whatever it might be, you have declared your space. We are here. This is where we are. And then the next thing that I say is to put something that's living. So a plant or um, flowers. And one of the things that I liked to talk about was to buy something from the local flora and fauna because every time you have something that you've bought purchased locally that you like you have a positive reaction to seeing it so let's say they have a really unique flower or plant um, in your new location when you have it in your home and let's say you walk by it 10 times you've created 10 positive release of these you know serotonin of these positive um happy feelings happy chemicals is it serotonin what's the happy chemical? yeah nope you're on yeah so you've released that and so you've already done that 10 times like mm -hmm. this release of i like this place i like i i like that plan and so that's one experiment and then you've created these happy chemicals with this physical location um, and then then one of the other tips i say to you is buy something that's like a local decor item so that again you create those positive uh association positive association with your location 
Um, so I, I would always say start with your home first. But as I taught these workshops, I realized I really needed, we needed to go inward. And so I had a partner who was a business coach and a life coach and an editor in chief of this amazing magazine in the Philippines who loved working with women and helping them, um, you know, like really what lights you up. And so she would do this personal value introspection exercises so that individuals could identify what um, fuels them and gets them excited. And so first, yeah, going inward to finding what you love and what, and how you feel at home with yourself, um, like your own self, and then at home in your new space. So that is where I always started was in your home first, because that's where you spend the most amount of time. Um, and besides your own physical body and mind and heart and soul. Uh, and then if you can, going from there, your neighborhood and your community, again, are what the best ways to become integrated um, in the local culture and create uh, roots with where you're living. I will say from my personal experience, I have only been here for two and a half months and my house is fine. I'm making a home. It's it's fine. It's cute and it's nice. Um, I lived in my dream home for six years. So anything um, that's not your dream home, you know what I mean? Like it's not a step, it's not disappoint. It's just not, it's not what it was. And I, again, I just say, I look, look back with gratitude to what we have and look forward with, okay, what, what is this home going to open up to me? Like what adventure are we going to go on in this home? I don't, um, the culture of the community where I am in, I am not sold on it yet. <laughs> I am not, I have done some experiments and they haven't gone great. So I'm learning. And I think that I can do one of two things. I can challenge myself to continue to do more experience the positive place attachment experiments in my community or I can sort of bypass that and think what does this big old state have to offer me what are the parks I want to go visit what are the water holes I want to go visit what are the you know these uh, museums I want to go visit where are the and so for me I'm sort of skipping one of those circles that communal circle that city circle and I'm going a little bit broader because that's where I feel I will have the most success. <laughs> so yeah, it is personal. Personal. Yeah. And you can kind of yeah. get in touch with how you work in a new place. But I love what you say that, you know, we're calling this loving where you live and it kind of seems like a high ideal. Maybe if you live in a place that maybe you can't love, you know, or just you can't quite get there. Like, um, I wanted to say specific cities, but I'm not going to because <laughs> maybe someone else would love them. But um, well, Manila is definitely so a hate it, a disliked city, and yeah. I love that. I love it. <laughs> yeah, and some West African cities are coming to mind, you know. But I love that you say, you know, that we can break this down. This is a really big concept, and it can feel huge when we move, but we can break it down. And what is, 
the smallest space around us. And like you said, maybe it's our physical bodies. That's a pretty small space, you know, like it's a very, on a very basic level, but there's a ton there mm-hmm. and our homes. And there's so much to be done there, you know, before moving on to the, the next circle. I think that's interesting to think about. I, I, I do want to add this because um, it's interesting to me what a global concept this is. It transcends um, socioeconomic and cultural and country, but uh, beautifying homes has been a concept like since the dawn of time. Like the the paintings that we found in caves, you know what I like? Um, the oh my gosh, like the cochineal shell, the coloring, like that, the original dyes that we got. Um, I studied where paints and colors came from, and it was these ancient. Um, communities, creating a beautiful space around you is not limited. It it does not have to mean excess. That that is not, I'm not saying to pay a designer or to buy new furniture. I'm truly just saying, work with what you've got to create an environment that um, uh, maximizes your peace and wholeness. I have a photo of a community that lived under a bridge in Manila and they painted a beautiful mural and it was a testament to me that you can beautify any space where wherever you are and so I think that that's something that I do feel strongly about yeah I love that and I think that's probably actually a good place to just start to, to imagine up. for a moment that any place can be a place that we can add beauty to and that it's going to be personal. Um, yeah. So Angie, do you have any questions? Or thoughts? No, no, I think this has been a great talk. I love the idea of making it personal. And if it's not the apartment, it's not going to be the spot you love that you figure out like loving the community or loving, you know, who you are or, you know, changing, or maybe you love the apartment and, and that's where you find your joy. If you don't love the adventure so much or the environment around you. So I think, you know, I really like that it's personal and that I like the, the whole concept of what you're, what you're teaching Amber. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, it's great work. I mean, I just think so many things we touched on that we can do a whole nother talk about. I'd love to. So, um, but thanks so much. What, do you have any last comments or? No, thank you for, I, for, this has been, um, very valuable for me. As you both know, I hit a pause on everything I did in March and I really haven't looked back on it. And this was a really spectacular time for me to revisit all these concepts. And thank you for reminding me that I had a passion inside for them. I realized my voice was getting louder and my hands were waving around that. Um, I do have things to say besides telling my kids to clean up after themselves. So (laughs) thank you very much for this opportunity and letting me, um, talk about something that I feel very passionate about and I hope that it can serve others and if I hope also if someone else has maybe some input or challenging ideas I'm happy to grow and learn
Yeah. Thanks so much for that. And really your voice is unique in this space. I mean, I don't know many um, transition coaches out there and people that work in this space, but it's so valuable because it really does stem or it connects to directly to just our well-being and how we feel day in and day out and how important that is wherever we are on this globe. And so I just appreciate that you're in this space and um, that you continue to work in this space, even in your new, your new place. Okay. All right, ladies. Thanks so much.